0: Welcome, everybody in here. Everybody who's tuning in online, we're so glad that you're here. And if you are tuning in online, we invite you to participate in the chat. Let people know that you're here, and uh, and be part of the community. In this room, we have uh, we're sitting at tables so that after some time of teaching, we can have a discussion. And uh, we really believe that transformation happens better in conversation than in just hearing a message. So be part of the conversation. Another place that conversations happen is in small groups. Small groups have started. It's not too late, though, to plug in. Uh, Just put a a message in the chat if you're online. We do have an online group, and we also have groups that meet in in other settings. And uh, if you're interested in more information about that uh, and you're in this room, there are communication cards at the table. Put your information on there and say, ah, "I'm interested in a small group," or uh, talk to uh, talk to me after the teaching time. Now, today is Super Bowl Sunday. It's not an official worldwide holiday. Um, it does get uh, a lot of attention, though, and you know one of the things that's exciting about it is that it, no matter how much preparation each team puts in, no matter what their Record is, no matter the skills that their team possesses, anything can happen. So it's exciting. They can't control the outcome of the game. Now I know some conspiracy theorists are saying that uh, no, actually the NFL does and they're doing it through the officiating and it's all scripted and basically uh, it's turned into big time wrestling. Uh, But we watch it because we we believe that anything can happen what we won't see is somebody switching journey, jerseys at halftime you know we're not going to see somebody on one team decide wow well, they really like the way the plays are being called on the other side they like that the other side is is ahead so they're going to change into the jersey that they're going to switch Teams, we're not going to see that. Although they can't determine the outcome of the game, um, they know what team they're on. At New Day, we're following the teaching and the example of Jesus. One of the ways we're doing that is by uh, being disciples, learning to make disciples, a disciple is someone who's committed to doing God's will, God's way, even when things get difficult and the outcome of a certain situation is uncertain, we're not in control. He is, and we are his. So when we can't control the outcome, what we need to do is focus on what team we're on. make choices that align us with the team that we're on. That's part of what the message is about today before we go any deeper let's pray together God uh, we we do acknowledge today that as much as sometimes we want to be that that we are not. In control. There are so many things that are uncertain to us, and yet nothing surprises you. So, this morning we've come together to hear from you, to learn from you, to look into your word, to embrace your promises for us. We pray that you would help us to let go of our fear, let go of our desire for control and recommit ourselves to being yours, God, and following your lead. In Jesus' name, amen. How many, anybody in here, uh, if you're not in the driver's seat of a vehicle, do you get nervous? Do you feel anxious? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, I see, So okay, okay, all right, all right, some people are used to, I, somebody over here is trying to, trying to raise someone else's hand, is trying to, trying to control what someone else's arm does, and it, it happens to be uh, a mom who has, uh, has teenagers who are driving, which, like, okay, I get that, I mean, if you, are you ever in the, in the passenger seat, and you, like, try to stomp on the brake that isn't there? Have you ever done? I've done that as a parent teaching kids to drive. Like ah, uh, It's pretty common to uh, have that nervousness. Some people get really anxious about flying because they are keenly aware that they are completely helpless in terms of controlling the giant metal tube that's going hundreds of miles per hour. A mile in the air. Uh, Jacqueline, I think you said that if you think about that too much, you really do, you need to not think about it. It's good that they have screens in there right now that take our mind off the fact that we are hurtling through the air. Anxiety, if you Google the word, uh, it's defined as a feeling of worry or nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Like landing a plane or avoiding a car accident. Outcomes seem more certain to us when we feel like we can control the situation. The problem is that there's very little that we can actually control when we try to control more it can become very frustrating because there are variables that happen that we don't have control over that mess things up and instead of feeling less anxious we end up feeling more anxious about a situation sometimes we want to uh do something good in a relationship we can see the good that needs to happen and so we try to manipulate and control the situation to be the good that we're hoping for and we end up ruining relationships because love love is about nurturing and it's about protecting it's not about using power and control and we're digging into this topic because we've heard uh, in our Sunday morning discussions that this is something that people struggle with. A lot of us have learned the lesson. This is not in the book of Proverbs. We've just learned this. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Have control if you want it done right, again, I'm like I'm seeing people pointing at other people, and out, like uh, by right, of course, we mean the way we would do it. When people come to me for advice or counsel, often it's not about change that they want to make in themselves; they want to control someone. Else? How do I get my spouse to do things differently? Or how do I get my teenager to comply? Or how can I make this person I care for see things the way I see them and believe what I believe? When we acknowledge that we don't have that kind of control, sometimes we conclude, but God does. And then we turn prayer into a weapon in our battle for control. Well, I can't control them, but God can. God, control this person for me. Change them in the way that I want them to be changed. There's an opposite end of the spectrum, too. There's kind of the control freak, and then there's like a complacent sleep. Some of us don't struggle with control because we've just given up. We see the world as a series of causes and effects that are already set in motion regardless of what we do. So, we just do nothing. God does not call us to that kind of complacent sleep or to be a control freak. Those are traps. The path that he calls us to walk It's sometimes called uh, uh, peace or serenity. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we've looked at this often as a church, as we've been emphasizing prayer over the last couple of years. Paul the Apostle says to the disciples in Philippi, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In the 1930s and 40s, a particular prayer Started to become popular and it was eventually adopted by the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous as an important prayer for people wrestling with control. And it was given the name the Serenity Prayer because it begins this way God, grant me the serenity, the peace to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. We see great examples of serenity, courage, and wisdom in the book of Daniel in the Bible. The book of Daniel starts with a display of power and control on a grand scale. This is taking place hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Just to give you kind of uh, some timeline clues here, God's people, the Israelites, became a powerful nation under King David. It wasn't long, though, before the next generations strayed from God. The nation was divided by a civil war, Israel in in the north, Judah in the south, And after generations of corruption, idolatry, immorality, God handed his people over to their enemies. We see in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. I want to point out, it's interesting here, who gave Nebuchadnezzar victory? It says in verse 2, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim. So although it felt like, to Nebuchadnezzar, his own power that allowed him to exert his will upon this neighboring nation, the insight from the book of Daniel is that God gave him that victory. We see in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. God has control even when it looks like the ones in power have all the control. Then we see Nebuchadnezzar's program of power and control in action. As you read on, you read that he takes the best and brightest people from Judah, he changes their names, he changes their food, and over the course of three years, indoctrinates them with Babylonian language and culture. And in Daniel 1, we meet four of the young men who had been taken from, from Judah. Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. So the first six chapters of Daniel then show us a number of ways that these four particular people remained faithful to God, made the most of what they could not change, and courageously controlled what they could in Daniel chapter 3, we see Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah controlling what they can. And chapter 3 starts with another display of power. Daniel 3, verse 1. And I'm reading this from the New American Standard Bible so that we can get the, uh, the, the old-fashioned measures because I think it's important. You'll know why in just a moment. Nebuchadnezzar the king made a statue of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width, six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, as people familiar with Scripture, the number six takes us to the beginning of Scripture, and it takes us to the end of Scripture. A few years ago, we went through the book of Revelation, and so we talked about some of the ways that biblical authors um, use numbers in order to uh, give clues and meaning. So in the beginning of scripture we read about God creating the heavens and the earth and day 6 is the day that God created the beasts and then the people and God on day 7 made that the day of rest. It's like the day of completion, perfection. It's God's day. He invited people to live into day 7. And to have dominion over the beasts of day six. This is kind of the uh, where some of that significance of these numbers comes from. And in Revelation, we read about a beast whose number, the author says, is 666. Now, don't worry, things are going to get super weird here. We're not going uh, to... Pointing out that when a human king that we read about in scripture makes a statue that is six by 60, we don't have to know how long a cubit is to know that this statue is a celebration of humanity's connection to the beasts of day six, not an elevation of being created in the image of God for day seven. By the way, six cubits by 60 is about nine feet wide and 90 feet high. So Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge statue and then he makes a decree, a rule, a law that whenever certain music is played, everyone from every nation who hears the music Anyone from any background, because at this point, Babylon has pulled in the best and the brightest from multiple, multiple cultures, and is trying to turn them into uh, agents for Babylonian prosperity. Anyone from any background has to bow down and worship the statue. Anyone who fails to do that will be immediately burned alive in a fiery furnace. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew clearly from the beginning that this decree and this statue, that these are an affront to the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, the God who said, don't have any other gods before me. The God who said, don't make any graven image and worship it. But what could they do? Nebuchadnezzar has all the power here. They can't control him or the decree that he just made. What can they control? This is the critical question that we need to sit on for a while. When we find ourselves in a situation with family or coworkers or at school where we know someone is thinking and acting in a way that is not right, it's wise for us to take a moment and consider our inventory. What's happening here that I cannot control? I can't control other people. By the way, if, if that's news to you, that's, that's gold this morning. Like, um, if that's the only thing you take away this morning, then uh, your life is about to change. You can't control other people. God, give me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, what I cannot control so take an inventory of what you can't control and then take an inventory of what you can control this is where the work is While you can't control other people what they do or say you may be able to control your response you may be able to control your vicinity to that person or situation you know, I can't make you speak more respectfully. I can walk away from you until you're ready to change your tone. I have choices here. I have things that I can control. You know, I can't make you as a parent. I can't make you do your homework. I can drop your data plan and change the Wi-Fi password so your phone is less of a distraction. I have choices in this situation. Now, in those situations, I want to be clear, you truly would have to accept that the person may not do their homework ever, even if you take away the distraction of the phone, and uh, you truly need to just then have some peace about, I can't, I can't force them to do something. Have the courage, though, to change or control what you can. That that courage isn't primarily about achieving your preferred outcome. It's about not giving in to complacency or to the control and manipulation that others are trying to force on you. So what could Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah control in this situation? They could only control themselves. So they did not bow to the golden statue. They made a choice. Other leaders around them would benefit. These young men were in positions of power by this point. Other people in positions of power would benefit if they were gone. So those other leaders saw this as an opportunity to cause Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to lose their positions in the kingdom. So they told Nebuchadnezzar about their non-compliance, and he flew into a rage. Anger is a common reaction when someone who thrives on power and control encounters anger. Resistance. If you fly into a rage, if you're getting angry about something, you might consider what am I trying to control here that maybe I've lost control over? And I need to let go. There are instructions in Scripture not on how to control an outcome. Instructions that say, control your anger. So Nebuchadnezzar brought these young men in to give them one more chance to bow. Daniel chapter three, starting in verse 16, and uh, we're using their Babylonian names now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. This is where it gets really interesting. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They know that one thing they can control is whether or not they bow. They can't control whether or not they'll be thrown into the fire or whether or not God will save them. They can control who and what They will bow to in worship. Nebuchadnezzar can kill them, but he cannot control them. I'm not even going to tell you the rest of the story. Okay. Well Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. Okay, that's that's the next thing that happens. Um you can read that on your own. In fact, small groups, that's gonna that's the suggested reading for uh, for a small group discussion, is to read what happens in the rest of Daniel chapter three, but don't read it right now. I don't want you to be one of those people who's like, oh, okay, I know he's talking, but this is, uh, but I, I'm going to finish this right now. Don't, just hold on. What I want us to focus on is that these three faithful young men took an inventory of what they could control and had the courage to act. Even though they could not control the outcome, they did decide in that moment whose team they were on. They weren't switching jerseys. They belonged to the Lord. So for you, what challenges are you facing right now? All of us have challenges that we're facing. Some seem larger than others. In every one of those challenges, uh, there's probably something that's causing you some anxiety, some outcome that you're not sure about, some imminent event that has you concerned. And it's tempting at times to grasp for any steering wheel or lever, to stomp on the brake, that isn't there, that can help us feel like we're in control of the situation. It's also tempting at times to just throw our hands up as if we don't have any choices and that the situation will never change. That's not what we mean by letting go and letting God. Letting go is being honest about the things that we cannot control and letting go of the illusion that we ever could control those things. Letting God means shifting our focus to him, seeking his will, opening ourselves to his work within us. The uh, Apostle Paul uh, in the, the book of Galatians gives these th- this kind of comparative analysis of if you're controlled by what he calls the flesh if you're controlled by and, and we might think of it in terms of like day six if you're controlled by the part of you that is uh that that's more uh, animal if you are controlled by the part of you that is your appetites your desire for power if you're controlled by that then the outcomes Are, are, are obvious, and one of them is fits of rage. If you're controlled by the Spirit, though, if you're living in day seven, if you're saying, yes, I have all these things competing within me, this battle going on, and yet daily, I am surrendering myself to God daily, I'm seeking his will. Moment by moment, my desire is not that that, that my appetites would be satisfied, but that God would be glorified. Then what you experience is a whole other set of outcomes. He calls them fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Peace. That serenity, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and as if to set the whole thing uh, with a, uh, uh, an, an exclamation point, the final fruit of the Spirit. If you've learned the fruit of the Spirit, do you remember what that last one is? Self-control. God is not interested in giving you the power to control. He is interested in giving you self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. We experience that when we choose to surrender ourselves to him. Even when we can't control the outcome, we can choose whose team we're on. So right now, let's practice that pattern of discipleship, that reflection, application, discussion, that I hope is becoming a a true habit. I hope that outside of, of this room, that you're starting to think in terms of Okay, when I am praying or when I'm looking into Scripture, what is God teaching me? What am I willing to do about it? What change am I willing to make within me? That's what this is all about, the life of discipleship. And sometimes it's tempting to go, I'm, I feel like I'm on a pretty good path, so I'm going uh, to keep going on this, on this path. The life of a disciple is to take a step back and go, I know I'm not perfect. Right now, today, I know that there are ways that I can be more conformed to the image and the character of Jesus Christ. What's a thing, a simple step of obedience that God would be calling me to take right now that would align me more with who he is, with his character, to wear his jersey as I go out and face the challenges of the day. So ask those questions during this time of reflection. God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do about it? And who do you want me to share this with? So take a few minutes of quiet reflection, and then we're going to reconnect for discussion. Let me send us into that time in prayer. God, thank you for the example of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you for the example of of faithfulness. And uh, we're all... We're all facing challenges and temptations today and you know what those are for every one of us and you know exactly what we need in order to face those. So we pray, God, for your wisdom. Make it clear to each person who's listening right now what you want them to take from this lesson from Daniel chapter 3 and what you want them to do about it. God, give us the courage to make the changes that we can for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a few minutes to reflect. I hope hope you got some sense of God's direction and and what you're willing to do about it. Uh, We're going to take some time and share with each other um, at tables around here in the chat what might be different in the next couple of days for you. What are you willing to do that you wouldn't have done otherwise uh, apart from what God is teaching you right now. A great way to start an answer to that question is with the two words, I will. Maybe you have had I will statements from the last couple of weeks that you did and you have uh, testimony to share and to celebrate. I encourage you to do that around these tables too. Maybe there's someone who you shared with and you can celebrate that. Uh, These are great discussions to have. We're just giving a couple of minutes for discussion right now in order to get things started. Again, this is part of what we're doing so that we're learning patterns of hearing God's word, obeying God's word, and discussing and celebrating uh, what he's doing in our midst. So take this time to have a discussion. We're going to continue this series next week and look more into uh, what what do we do in the face of that desire to control. Uh, So tune in again next week. We'll catch up with you then.